everybody. This is G, and you're listening to the SITREP Podcast, your home for everything related to modern wargaming. And today is our fourth episode of 2019. And with me this morning, I have Jim. Hello, everybody. And I have Ralph over from Merry Old England. Morning, peeps. And we're still looking for Chris. I think he got buried in a snowbank up there in the Great White North. Uh, hopefully, he'll pop in here shortly. So, guys, how are you doing today? Uh, not too bad, actually. Yeah, doing all right. All right, good. So, another week, another episode. Uh, what have you guys been up to for hobby? How about you, Ralph? Why don't you start us off? Anything? Um, just uh, did a bit of basing of minis today, ready to prime them. So, basically sticking some Spectre minis on 20mm bases and then milli-putting them to the base to give them, you know, so, you, so it doesn't look like a metal miniature stuck to a base uh, um i prefer having it so it looks like they're part of the base so i did some of my mount, mountain of metal today that i have sitting excellent which is um and then i've also been looking at different ways of attaching the benches to the modified little birds i'm trying to finish off excellent and i thought about one of the ways i was doing was straight instead of using uh, sprue underneath the, the the belly of the helo, so it looks like the the um it looks like you know basically two big sticks running along the underneath the helo and stick the benches on there. Uh-huh. I'm thinking about using a straightened paper clip and putting it through the inside of the helo because it's thin enough, and okay. then sticking the benches on that because then I can mani- manipulate it and actually hide it slightly and give it a slight kink and stuff. Huh. So I've been looking at using basically straightened wire. Interesting. I'd like mm-hmm. to see that. So hopefully you can mm-hmm. post that. Um, so for everybody listening, we are going to start our own forum group on the Beast of War OPT uh, to keep stuff out front and you can post your product there as well as our own Facebook post. Um, so yeah, Ralph, I'd love to see you yeah. uh, posting stuff there. Mm-hmm. Well, I've got my project for the little birds, and I just need to put it up. I had a little bit of a break, and I did post pictures up of the Humvee and the four Spec Ops. Uh, guys, I've got another one I'm going to add to that collection as well. I've just got a prime and I've got a one of the spec op, one of the Spectre minis, one of the very first ones I did with the a double A twelve auto shotgun. Uh huh. Um, so I think I'll paint him up, put the optics on, and add him to the collection of the five special ops operators for me Humvee instead of four. Perfect. So what minis were you basing? Which set? It was spec. It was the um the one I, the ones I'm basing were. The, I've modified a bunch of rangers, so I sliced the heads off them and put some puppets of war heads that you can't get in the scale anymore. They've upped their scale slightly of um, bonnie hats. Okay. So my rangers have got bonnie hats, and that's going to basically be modified into a SEAL team, taking active valor is sort of the inspiration. Oh, nice. Um, and I've got the female undercover operative for Task Force Nomad. Perfect. That they have released recently, and then I've got the one of the original marksmen, and then I've got a uh, the other one I based up was a one of the more recent um, task force operators with the machine gun, but it's not a mini. Uh-huh. It's the X. I think it's the X one that they did. I'll have to have a look. I'll have a look on their website and find out what it is. Um, so I was just adding milli put to them. Perfect. Perfect. Anything else, Ralph? No, nope, that's been me done, really. Um, we'll cover 
some other stuff when we get to down further down into what what else we we're we're putting calls out for. But sure. that was really the main thing. Fantastic. How about you, Jim? Okay. Um. Let's see. For for miniatures, uh, not really very much. Um. Actually, I'm taking advantage of what's been going on on the uh, OTT site as far as the um, random act of kindness uh, feature that they're running off. Where you're basically, you know, giving giving away miniatures or, or getting rid of miniatures that you're not probably, you know, going to use to, you know, free to a happy home kind of thing. Um, so I'm actually uh, getting involved in that and uh, trying to offload some of the minis that I'm either not going to build or, you know, I'm not going to be able to finish. Um, Hobby-wise, also, uh, again, uh, for people who have been watching the Op Center, uh, that Op Center takes up uh, quite a bit of time. So that's been some of my hobby time. Uh, we're building a uh, later on today. Uh, actually, I don't know when this video or when this podcast is going to go out, but later on, what well, at time of this recording, later on today, we're going to be running a um, 1973 Golan Heights recreation of Avigor Kahalani's 77th Tank Battalion, 7th Tank Brigade uh, on the on the Golan Heights. This is what the, the book Heights of Courage was written about. It's probably the most epic tank battle that's taken place on planet Earth since 1945. It's absolutely insane. Um, if anyone has ever read about it, I, you know, yeah, I, I would encourage you to, to take a look at it. Uh, and as far as smaller scale wargaming, we are going to expand our Valorant Victory Edition Vietnam into uh, Beirut 1982. This mm. is going to yeah, this is going to be for part four of the Op Center. So um, I didn't really want to do this at first because it's like, oh my god, another whole addition to a game system I have to design and build <laughs> and research and. Excel spreadsheets and numbers and fact checking. Remember fact checking? Yeah, I remember fact checking, <laughs> and so on and so forth. And then I was like, wait a minute, we built Australians and um, you know the first ATF guys for Valorant Victory Vietnam about a year year and a half ago, and they use a lot of the same weapons. FN falls were big in the IDF back in those days. The Galil assault rifle fires the same 556 NATO round that the uh, M16 fires. So the M16 data from Valorant Victory Vietnam could easily be ported over. And of course, the Palestinians, um, Christians, and the, uh, the Syrian army that's involved in Lebanon are all using, you know, AKs and, you know, those associated weapons, RPGs, PKMs, RPKs, et cetera, et cetera. Most of the math is already done. Uh, it's just now going to be a bunch of artwork and uh, some graphics and coming up with some new counters and maps. And um, hopefully for part four of the Op Center, we'll have a little bit, which goes into, you know, 1982 and running forward, the much more recent Arab-Israeli conflicts. Uh, we'll be able to take a little bit more of, an, of a small squad-based infantry focus on these conflicts. Because while there was heavy-duty tank combat, you know, Arab-Israeli war-style tank mm -hmm. combat in uh, places like the Becca Valley in Lebanon and, you know, early model Merkavas up against Syrian T-72s, there wasn't really a whole lot. And the quality of the Syrian tank crews were really at an all-time low at that point. And, uh, of course, the IDF was, you know, as you, they weren't really at the top of their game either. I mentioned earlier Avigor Kahalani's book. He wrote another book about his experiences as a division commander in uh, in Lebanon. And <laughs> it's it's a little less glowing. Let's, let's just put it that way. Hmm. Um the IDF has lost a little bit of its shine in more recent decades. But nevertheless, uh, I, I don't know if there's a whole lot of room to explore historically in 
big scale tank mechanized combat in 82 Lebanon. So I thought that taking more of a squad based firefight kind of a look through the Valor and Victory system would be uh, maybe a little bit more appropriate. So we'll be starting that in the next couple of days. And uh, yeah, either later on today or early tomorrow, we'll be uh, we'll be starting up that forum thread that you were talking about on um, on tabletop.com. We're uh, almost like the Waypan thread that they have, the great Waypan thread they have over there on that site. Good. We'll, we'll be doing something a little similar to that. People have been reaching out to us and asking us if there can be a centralized, easily accessible, always on the front page kind of a place where people can, you know, collaborate, exchange information, talk about upcoming events, uh, maybe link to projects, uh, things of this nature. I think it would be a great idea. Um, so, yeah, hopefully I'll be able to start that off. Uh, like I said, we have a big war game later on today, but if not tonight, then uh, definitely tomorrow morning uh, we'll have that up. So by the time of this podcast, uh, that should already be up and running on on Beasts of War on Tabletop. So, yeah, I would definitely encourage anyone with any kind of interest in uh, in you know any of our listeners, our subscribers, our followers, anyone with an interest in modern war gaming, uh, you know, to, you know, head over to uh, on Tabletop and uh, check it out. That's awesome. That is a lot of work going into a lot of these projects. And uh, we appreciate all your hard work you're doing on that. So cool numbers. Uh, speaking of the Valor and Victory, um, you know, you and I have been talking, and I think that game would be an excellent for a CQB episode. Um, and I would like, and I know we've talked about this, I'd like to do it from the standpoint of somebody coming in brand new to the game and you guiding us through how to uh, play an, an initial scenario. I think that would make an excellent uh, show. Awesome. Yeah, we could definitely do that. It's a, uh, the word beer and pretzels gets thrown a lot. It's not a beer and pretzels game. It is a real live, you know, war game. However, it is uh, more recently developed by a guy named Barry Doyle. Uh, the guy really needs to be canonized as a saint. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, it's it's free to print and play. He put it out to the community. He, I mean, he, he accepts donations. Valorandvictory.com uh, is his website. If if anyone wants to check it out, I've contributed to him. I mean, he's he's made wargaming accessible to everybody. Um, and I'm talking about like, the old 1980s kind of war games, but he takes it from a little bit more of a current marketplace perspective. Where, oh, I mean, number one, he's not trying to really make any money on the deal, and number two, it's not as heavy or as chunky or as granular as some of the 80s classics, 70s classics, the Panzer Blitz series, the Advanced Squad Leader series, the GDW Assault series. These are great games, but they're they're games of their decade. They're games of the 1980s. Before everybody had Hulu, Twitch, Amazon, you know, <laughs> everybody yeah. had these everybody had these post-millennial uh, attention spans or whatever. Um, it's fast, it's fun, it's easy, but it still maintains the spirit of advanced squad leader, I think, um, with, you know, a much more of a, of a streamed lined kind of a, you know, slick down rule system that plays a lot faster, a lot more friendly to entry level gamers and, uh, you know, people who, uh, who maybe have never tried the game before. You can probably play a game, a mid-sized game in an hour, hour and a half. Uh-huh. Uh, my friend Alex and I have had some big games in Stalingrad. It's originally written for World War II. Some big Stalingrad games that took like two or three hours. We had a mega game in World War One. I. I redesigned the game for World War One, where we put like whole battalions against each other in like a four-board trench network. That's about 200 pieces on the board. And it, it, we still got that wrapped up in like three hours. 
but obviously a game on, on any kind of a CQB episode would be a lot smaller um, and easier to get into, maybe an hour, an hour and a half tops. Uh, and that's taking into account the fact that, you know, we're, we'll, be take, we'll be taking somebody brand new into the system and showing them how the game works. Perfect. That sounds like a great time, and I, I like having the exposure to that avenue as well. So we will definitely have to work on that. Um, I, yeah, it's, I'm it's, really originally, it's, it's originally for World War II, which is a little bit out of the, uh, which is original uh, originally for World War II, which is kind of a little bit out of the sitrep modern, you know, uh, purview, so to speak. Again, I have rewritten it for Vietnam. We could totally take a dip into Vietnam. Vietnam has been built and play tested for, I mean, American Army, American Marines. Uh, we've taken a stab at helicopters once. I have the counters made up for them. Might be a little bit more playtesting needed for helicopters. Obviously, helicopters were not in World War II and therefore not in the original Valor and Victory system. Civilians, casualty evacuation uh, factions include, like I said, the U.S. Army, U.S. Marine Corps, NVA, um, NLF, more commonly known as the VC. Uh, the Australians are in there. Um, South Vietnamese Army is in there. Uh, Arvin so to speak, and mm -hmm. one other, uh, military police. That's not really a faction, but, you know, I should say unit types. Sure. As far as, like, what kind of armies and, and lists you can build. And, um, again, uh, uh, Arab-Israeli wars, look at uh, Valor and Victory is coming. I just haven't built it yet. So if you wanted to run a CQB episode, I would suggest we start with Vietnam. Okay. Um, but that's just because that's what's ready at the exact moment. I mean, Valorant Victory is a great system. I think it's almost infinitely modulable. There's a guy on Board Game Geek who has made Valorant Victory for Mars Attacks. No way. It's, act it's actually kind of funny, and it looks like it. So I guess there's a point as far as how far you can take this system. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, he's got the little aliens on there and their little ships and they're little walking robots and it's it's all adorable uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, you can have a lot of fun with this system um but i would just for our first cqb episode i think we should kind of kick it off with uh with vietnam perfect i i agree i i think that would be great and um yeah i'm all for it so that'd be awesome Sweet. cool anything else jim uh for hobby um that's about it for the moment. Uh, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, um, so what have I been doing uh, over the past week? Well, I live streamed on Twitch the other night. I put together the Razor from Spectre Miniatures. Um, sorry about the mic issues. Not exactly sure what we're having issues with. I don't know if it's the headset I bought, so I didn't have to have another mic stand somewhere else. But um, wow, was there a lot of pieces that little thing? So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was a great stream. Good. Thank you. Um, it's a nice model, but uh, somebody asked me, oh, my God, I don't think I could do it. There's too many pieces. It is definitely um, more advanced for some people. You know, some people want a, a resin chunk, if you will, and throw a couple pieces on it, and it's ready to go on the table. This one is a little bit more to it, obviously. You know, I, was, I had to put the motor in. I had to put the exhaust in. I had to put the suspension together, uh, the roll cages, brush bars. Um, so all that, once I figured out how it went on the first one, the second one will be pretty easy. So, um, cause I, I have two of them. I, they're nice minis though. The combination of the resin, the resin's really clean. The metal itself was 
uh, pretty clean. There was a couple little pieces I had to clean some flash in, but uh, yeah, it's a nice mini. So that was one of the things I worked on. And the other thing, hobby-wise, is to uh, accommodate our viewers and fans who are PC gamers uh, is set up a dedicated server so we can offer Arma free to our members uh, so they'd have their own server to go and play with and you know play with other members and set up missions. So I have a mission put together. Um, we were trying to stream it on past Tuesday, and unfortunately, the server computer hasn't all the upgrades that the computer I was building the scenario on. So there was an incompatibility issue I didn't realize. So it, it wouldn't work. So I have to go back and rebuild the whole thing. But basically, just to give everybody an idea and a taste if you're interested, is that the mission starts, it's your squad. Um, it's a light squad, because I think there's only nine uh, members of the squad instead of 12. Um, but um, basically what happens, you're on a hill at a rally point. A Blackhawk comes in, lands, you load on the Blackhawk. It takes you to uh, outside of your objective area. Then you have to go into this village and locate a Russian advisor to the separatist group, eliminate the advisor, and then exfil from there to a rally point. And then once you're at that rally point, another Blackhawk comes in and loads you up and then takes you away, and that's how the mission ends. So um, that's what I'm working on. And it so far, when I tested it, it worked pretty well other than a few kinks. But we'll have the server. My plan is to have the server up and running uh for actual play on march 1st is the idea so that is what i've been working on and it's based awesome. off of our um third of the 111th airborne infantry which is a fictional unit so um i also built uh an air cav unit which is literally nothing in it yet just a placeholder on our uh team site um armor three you go to bohemian interaction it has a team site and then when you log into armor 3 through steam you'll see an option to play the third of the 111th or to play the a troop of the first of the seventh cav nicknamed custer's revenge um <laughs> and then eventually we'll have a mechanized unit so depending on the scenario you can play one of those three so um it's, it's pretty cool so eventually what will happen the design is so say we're playing this mission i just described is that not as of right now, nine people probably get to 12. I think Blackhawk, the actual Blackhawk in the game will hold full 12 squads. Um, when I looked at the seats, I counted the seats. And yeah, I think there's still enough to hold three more uh, infantry guys. Um, that there will be an actual infantry squad, and then somebody can actually play the crew of the helicopter. So, um, so they'll be able to do not only do the insert next build, they can do uh, medevac. And then if they want, they can have an Apache to uh, use some fire support for the team if need be. So um, that's that's the long-term design of it. That's a lot of fire support. It a is. Dedicated Apache for one squad. That's great. Why not? It's fantasy. We can do whatever we want. <laughs> oh, no. It's, it, it's I mean. I well, when, know, you're you know, when you, you know, not to give away any surprises, but there might be some light armor or infantry fighting vehicles for the uh, bad guys, so. There you go. You know, need to kind of level the playing field a little bit. Yeah, if you're talking about, um, if, if you're, from what I could gather from what you were saying, you're talking about, you know, um, 
hitting a uh, a Russian advisor that was advising separatists in a village. We're we're kind of postulating increased American involvement in the Ukraine. Is that kind of what we're yeah, sort of kind of you know kind of you know in a fictional setting, obviously, but um, oh, yeah, yeah. It's a fictional well, like, collection of islands. Um, yeah, it's a fictional collection of islands. Right now, there are maps you can get for like you know Fallujah and uh, the Sangin Province and Helmand Province, you know that area. So, right. um, you know, but right now it's using the fictional real estate that comes with the game, and cool. then just building into it. So, I mean, you know, the town, it does, the whole terrain itself is already built, and it looks really good. It's just taking and just you know basically what you do is you say, okay, I want a fire team of this. I want a heavy machine gun of this. You know, you pick teams any place where you want. Then you got to do the trigger. So, you know, like when your player group goes into a certain area, it triggers responses from the enemy. So there's a lot to it. It's not just, oh, I want this. this. You got to kind of think about how somebody would play and how you want the enemy to react. So, Is the enemy always AI or is it? Well, as of right now, it is AI. Okay. So we get enough players and then we could open it up to a um, op four basis so we could have you know, so many players playing the squad and then another group playing up four. And ah, I want to be the bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> I want, I want, I want uh, separatist T-72s, man. Uh-huh. There's no shortage of them things running around. So that's, that's the long-term plan. We just got to get uh, it up running smoothly and then, um, you know, get enough people interested in doing it. So, you know, it, it's a nice distraction from miniatures um, and you know other types of gaming, it just breaks up. You know, it gets you a little bit. Like after doing working on that for several several days, I was very happy to get back working on a miniature, being the the razor. So it it kind of helps you refresh and refocus. So you know, I know not everybody's a PC gamer, which is fine, but we wanted to make sure we're including everybody that has some type of interest in modern war gaming, and that's why we went with that. And I know Ralph, you're working on. Or thinking about doing a Division 2 when it comes out, yeah. right? Yeah, the Division 2 comes out middle of March. Um, last weekend was the closed beta. Uh-huh. I, didn't do any, I didn't do any recording of that because it was a beta, so it's still in a, a state. I had no issues with it, but I know there was lots of people on different YouTubers that were streaming and stuff were saying there was you know, some, still some issues. Um, but there's an open beta coming up early March where anybody can sign up and join it. Um, Which, which is good because that's, that's basically stress testing. It's a, it's a similar to what a a lot of gaming companies will do. They'll, they'll do a closed beta. Then they might do an open beta. um, And the open beta is predominantly for stress test for the the hardware infrastructure that will be sitting in its place, especially for online games. Um, The other thing with the division two, which is interesting is not at launch, but post-launch um they're going to allow clans so it might be something that we look at as a community especially from those who are playing the division 2 now the only downside of that is i'm a pc gamer i don't play the division on the xbox one or ps4 but if there's any of our viewers doing that then we can probably say well why don't you create a clan for that platform we create a pc clan and we could have a sit rep clan you know so it's it's something to think about because then that allows group play for what they're calling the raids which is large man eight man uh dungeons basically um if you take a standard mmo 
plat uh, terminology with it. So, so there's there's stuff coming in with within the division two. But the reason I think the division and the division two have gained, you know, a little bit more observation is a lot of people have been converting the Spectre agents to being division agents. Okay. So the Spectre line, the the agents line, uh, and the deniable ops line actually lend themselves really well to the New York version of the division agents more than the more than the summer version that we're getting with the division two which is set in washington dc perfect so you know what an interesting idea is when that game comes out be able to take one of the scenarios playable missions in that and Mm -hmm. translate it to tabletop oh definitely that would be uh, you know another source of um you know for designing a scenario Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean you know as of right now i put out a uh tentative schedule on our Facebook and Twitch page, uh, and I believe it went to Twitter, um, that Tuesday nights is our planned stream night for PC games, so Arma 3 and possibly Division 2 when Ralph's up running with that, and then uh, Thursday night is our live stream on Twitch for Hobby Night, and I've got to find out a way, can we live stream it to um, YouTube as well at the same time? Because Some people don't have Twitch, and I'd like to be able to go to um, there as well. I think you can. I think you can set it's, it's it definitely it. possible. I just don't know how to do it. Yeah. I mean, I I've, think I've been on streams where they've been doing it. I, I've seen it done. Okay. So well, it's, it must be doable because um, Critical Role and anybody in role play, anybody that watches streams would have heard of Critical Role. Um, they stream through Twitch. They also stream on YouTube at the same time. So I'm assuming it's a set. You can set up a setting inside of OBS. To do dual dual uh, to do dual streams. Okay. And I think Twitch you can set it up for dual streams as well. It'll, well, not sorry, not Twitch, but I think OBS will let you have dual streams going out. All right. Well, I'll look into it settings. because I'd like to be able to go all, over all three of our big platforms: or Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook. So you know, no matter who has what, we should be able to cover everybody eventually. And then that way, when we do, you know, any of our live streams or Jim's Op Center or, you know, our CQBs, whatever, it's going out mm-hmm. everywhere. So yeah. anything we kind of do live. So, um, yeah, I a lot of stuff in the works. Chris, you there? Hello. Hey. Oh. We found him. Yeah. <laughs> did, that, did that collection of St. Bernard's we sent find you, did it, Chris? <laughs> yes, it did. So have you finally gotten all the snow you've been missing for a while? Uh, it's cold. It's freezing here. Yeah. Yeah, it's been cold for weeks. <laughs> so, uh, Chris, you just hopped in at the right time. We, The three of us had just finished up. We've been doing hobby-wise, so it's on to you. What have I been doing hobby-wise? Uh, for modern, I've been painting more infantry. I I, I uh, picked up some more Spectre miniatures. Nice. So, Which group? Uh, the SAS. Okay. Which, the, which uh, ones? The Jungle. Nice. Yeah. Those are my favorite. Because I well, I saw the pictures of the ones you did. Uh-huh. And I did them up. So I, I was nice. thinking of those. Um, what else have I been working on? Working on some more vehicles. I've got a uh a, a Grod a BM21 uh Grod truck uh with the rockets on the back. Okay. That's gotta be huge. Yeah, it's pretty big. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been working on that, and that's gonna be an objective marker. Um, also, I've been working on. I think 
that's about it. I've also been working on the script for uh, doing um, some skirmish sangin videos. Perfect, because you know that's uh, what we're going to be talking about as our main topic today is the skirmish sangin rulebook. Uh, do cool. a little in depth. So you got yours handy. I know I'm giving you uh, very light uh, notice. I, I know I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I can get it. I can go run and get it. Obviously. Okay. So awesome. Um, I know it's been kind of crazy for you lately here at the. But uh, what else have you been working on? Anything worth mentioning? Um, the rest of the stuff I've been working on has just been World War II battle group. Gotcha. Uh, ah, there you go. I've been working on a lot of that. So. Which um, any any of the source books in particular, or uh, the latest one? So I've been working on a hun- Hungarian army. Okay, so uh, we're, we're uh, spring spring awakening. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And I played a huge eight person game. Last weekend. Oh man! I'm wow! So jealous. You you have eight people who are playing battle group. Uh, we actually have uh, probably twelve. And see, do you have like, you have room? Do you have room on your couch? Can I come live, live with you for? A <laughs> <while>? <laughs> yeah, we have four oh, in our in our city. Four people that play here, and then we have oh. another. Eight in the next city over, nice. which is about an hour and a half drive away. So, okay. well, hey, if you got people that are willing to drive an hour and a half to come play a game, that it well, says we, something about the game, you know. We drove in the, we drove on the highway in the uh, freezing weather, so we were, we were wanting to play. So, yeah, excellent, excellent. You know, it reminds me. Have they said any more about their modern rule set? Possibly. It is coming up, I hear. I saw Pierce uh, post something about uh, um, a podcast announcing what's going on with that and other titles. Nice. Yeah, Pierce has said he wants to be a guest speaker on the on the, uh, on the sit rep. So cool. we're going to have I'll, to, I'll reach out to him again. And, Please. Uh, Let's see yeah. if we can get him on the next one. Cool. Yeah, so I'll reach out to him. Two weeks from the soon. airing of this one. Yep. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. Anything else, Chris? No, that's about it for hobby for me. Oh, I've been printing a lot of houses, 15 mil. Oh, which uh, file, what uh, producer files? Um, what's the fellow's name? I just can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, Is it printable scenery? No, it's one off Thingiverse, but the guy is oh, okay. prolific in uh his buildings and stuff, but I can't right. remember the name. I'll, I'll uh, if I find it, I'll okay. uh, let you guys know. Are we talking about three? Are, are we talking about three D printers? Yeah. Okay. No. Uh, so I almost uh, pulled the trigger on a anti-cubic uh, resin. Oh. They dropped in price on Amazon. They're like four hundred dollars now. Oh, uh, they're five hundred here, so that's that's pretty good. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I could use it. And, you know, obviously it's a little small build plate for buildings, unless I'm doing. 10 mil for modern mm. 10 mil. Um, mm-hmm. So I um, might do that because I, I think that's going to be my next project. Once I get some of the stuff off the table is to do team Yankee in 10. So, yeah. um, or what is, is what is, uh, uh, GHQ is a GHQ. We talked about it in the latest episode of the op center uh-huh. is uh six mil. Six mil. Okay. Yeah. All right, mm-hmm. so six mil. So I'm probably going to use them because they have a pretty good source. So if I have three mil and I find it just too small, 
Um, not from a realistic standpoint, but too small from a hobby standpoint. Yeah, so. yes, I, I agree. I mean, by the time we get down to three mil, uh, play with chips. Yeah, why, why not play Hex Encounters? So. Yeah. yeah, so at least at six. But I have another rule set that at some point I'm going to discuss on a future episode of podcast of our podcast, and that is Hind Commander, which is a rule set that they uses the three mil. But I'm assuming you can still use it for the six mil. I don't see why you couldn't. But um, I have yet to crack into it. It's a pretty hefty rule book, but you know, obviously it's a lot of helicopter based combat. Go figure. Um, <laughs> So, but yeah, um, uh, because there's a company that's local to me called Pico Armor, and they sell a lot of, you know, they sell three mil. So um, I have their stuff, and it's really nice. But again, from a hobby standpoint, and you know, and putting it on the table, I I think six ten mil is kind of ideal when you want to get realistic ish ranges and yeah. still have something visual on the table. It's a nice happy medium. Yeah. So that's where I'm thinking of going. Anybody got any news they want to talk about? Anything happening out there in the world of modern wargaming? Um, no, I think the only thing that sort of popped up this past week, I might be wrong, was Stephen started previewing some of the stuff for Spectre 2nd Edition. Yeah. Yeah, um, he did talk a, about a, a change in a rule. Yeah, it was the suppression rule. Yes. They've changed how suppression works, which is a good, which is a good idea. Do you have that uh, up, Ralph, that you could talk do that a little bit? I can bring it up now. I've got the spec that okay. Facebook page open. So yeah, he keeps hinting that the rules are very, very close to being released. So here's my yeah. prediction. Uh, and I'm not usually typically good with predictions, but it's either going to be a depth counter salute. We're going to see the rule. I'm making that prediction uh, now. I don't think I think it'll be before salute. So it might be a depth counter. I just literally, as we're talking, I just got a message from Matt. Confirming mm -hmm. that they're going to be at a DEFCON. Oh, yeah. Right. So I will be nailing them down. I'm trying to coordinate. So for everybody out there, I'm trying to coordinate all these people for a live roundtable discussion podcast. Uh, so I'm trying to get Matt and Steven and Alex from Full Battle Rattle, uh, cool. Tim from Miniature Building Authority, uh, the guys from Skirmish, because they're all going to be there this year. I'm trying to get yeah. them for a live podcast. Sit down and say, Hey, where, what is the state of modern wargaming as you all see it, and where do you want to go with it? So I'm hoping to have a really good roundtable discussion. Okay, so the post went up on the 15th. So it went up on Friday. Uh -huh. uh, it opens up with, with the, it says, in the lead-up to the release of Spectre Operation 2nd Edition, so I'm, I think we're looking quite reasonably. Um, one of the biggest areas that we've updated is suppression. So it goes into a little bit about suppression, and within the first sort of the first iteration of it, yeah. Mm -hmm. So after long play testing, rewriting, and more play testing, we now really and we have a really innovative, innovative and realistic suppression mechanic that does not slow down the game and greatly enhances the tactical play. Okay. In doing so, it led to the creation of an equally innovative squad mechanic more on that later so they're bringing in squad mechanics in nice. the group yeah so suppression mechanic at its core suppressive fire over over a certain level triggers a command test which i don't think it used to do i don't have my specter book right no i don't either failing a test creates suppression effects uh-huh over several escalating levels suppressed pinned and you've asked for it routed so you can now route the enemy 
if you put enough suppression down on them. Oh, mm. nice. Okay. Um, to manage the difference in abilities of the troops, the effects are different. It's very hard to pin down and route some of the better trained troops. So against militia, it might be easier to route them. Yeah. yeah. Against uh, professional troops or TR1 troops, it's going to be quite difficult to, to route those troops. And that makes perfect sense. I mean, the higher yeah. quality of training and experience, mm. the yeah. you know, harder it is for them to run away. Mm. So, mm. Yeah. you know, a lot so of them like to stay in the fight. They do. This new suppression mechanic now makes squads and squad leaders more valuable, especially for large militia groups that gain bonuses and numbers. So I think what they're saying is if you've got, you know, a large militia, then, you know, it's difficult to say you've got 30 guys. Sure. It's quite difficult to lay down enough suppression for them to run. You know, you're talking 30 people. You you know, you would have to put a lot of fire down constantly, I think. You know, you're talking minigun, you know, that type of thing. Suppression from vehicle suppression, mate. But I'm guessing small arm suppression. You've got 30 militia guys charging you. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Um, gain bonuses and professional elites. Uh, troops monitoring, uh, mentoring lower TS squads as well. That's a rule from the original, where you could have professional soldiers and elite uh, troops mentoring them. Okay. So you could have an elite soldier with 10 militia or 10 lower trained troops. So it was a bit like an um, advisor and, you know, that type of mechanic. Perfect. Um, but then, then he says more coming along, you know, and then he posted up some new pictures as well uh, to go with it. So you've got some, uh, one of the pictures is a collection of uh, African, you know, basically what looks like Somalian, you know, that type of football shirts, G, you know. Yeah. That type of thing. Um, the next one is a collection of um, Humvees. One with a GAU 25 on the top. Okay. <laughs> yeah. How does yeah. that weapon fire without flipping a truck over? <laughs> uh, the other one is a collection of the militia with the Soviet anti-tank gun. Uh-huh. The twin barrel thing. What the hell is it called? It's at the Zoo 23. Oh, yeah. CSU 23-4. Yeah. Uh, a, D, a DSK, which I've just gotten to put in the back of a technical and a recoilless rifle. Nice. They've been posting up pictures. He's been, they've definitely, they've been posting up a collection of pictures as well. Uh, one of the pictures they have posted up, going back to a previous conversation, is a collection of the agents uh, in a urban environment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm, I wonder what that reminds me of. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was posted this last week, but I think we'll see the rule book. I, d- I think we'll see it before salute. Okay, well, we'll have to see. Like I said, I'm hoping for a Depticon. <laughs> um, that would be awesome. I'd like to really get a preview copy if possible. Wink, wink, Adam, um, Matt, and <laughs> Steven, you know, preview copy. Um, so we'll see. Um, let's see. Oh, so also along the lines of, uh, Spectre Miniatures, uh, Black Sight Studios, you know, keep promoting that big old ship they have. Gosh, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm hoping that I will see that at Adepticon as well. Um, maybe I can get my hands on one. That'd be awesome. Um, I have a feeling it's going to be a very expensive show for me this year. Uh, okay. yeah, because that, that ship is, uh, it's 95 pounds. Yeah. It's, uh, I think, $114 yeah. for the ship. But I think 
looking at it, and one of, I think one of the major benefits of it is compared to some of the other MDF kits out there, possibly far from foreground, is it's coloured. Yeah. It's yeah. it's all it's all textured, it's coloured, so it falls in the same category as what foreground does. Um, over the things like Sarissa and some of the other companies out there. Perfect. Um, but yeah, it is a nice, nice piece of kit. I like the hotel, to be honest, that they've done. I like the whole modern set that they've been previewing. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, I'd love to get my hands on that stuff, you know, and mix in some of the stuff from uh, Miniature Building Authority. And I think you can come up with a really amazing table. Um, that is definitely on the project list for, mm -hmm. you know, either Percent Arms or CQB or just the hobby live stream, you know, building a table and, yeah. you know, training it out. So definitely in the works. Um, just got to obviously find the time and space to do it. So. I was thinking, actually, as well, looking at it, you know, you could have their modern kit intermixed with the foreground stuff that they've done for the destroyed, you know, that they'd released for Desert War. Yeah, yeah. So you've got the destroyed buildings, haven't you, with the low, the low fencing and stuff like that. Yeah, most definitely. So you could intermix that and then possibly bring in some of this, the uh, Crusade foreground Adobe buildings as well. So you have a mix of modern and that ancient thing. Perfect. So, um, anybody else have anything news-wise, Chris or Jim? No. No. Okay. Well, all right. So we're going to do a little. We're going to do a little recruiting. Um. So for everybody listening out there, Ralph, you want to talk about Ghost Ops real quick? Yeah. Um. I'm getting ready to, shall we say, finish finalize some of the things on that. So we're now looking for players. Um. So. Between three and four people, uh, additional people, we already have someone that's already expressed an interest, and I said yes, so that's one down. So between another three to four people, um, if you're interested in joining Ghost Ops, which is a modern military role-playing game um, done by... I'm trying to bring it up now. Uh, and it's not coming, wanting to load. The guy called Joey Man. I think it's Joey yeah. Manning. Uh, no, it's not Joey Manning, because that's the guy that writes spooks. Um, <laughs> I do apologize. Uh, bring it up. Oh, the page is loaded now, so let's have a look. It's James Gantry, is the the writer, founder and writer of Feral Games, Inc., and that's who created Ghost Ops. Ghost Ops was a kiss, Kickstarter. It then went out to, um, it's now available on DriveThruRPG. Um, don't worry if you don't have the rules or anything or don't know the rules. We'll talk you through it. Um, Did he offer in. up like a PDF version? He has. For those who yes, are yes. going to be in this group? Yes, he has. Um, I, need to, I, need to, I need to confirm that with James, of course, yeah. once we get started and stuff, just to see if he's all right still doing that offer. But yes, he's he's sort of offered that um, through drive through RPG. So as long as you've got a drive through RPG account, we can get you sorted that way. And then um uh, just basically making uh say yeah or nay on the, the comments section on on tabletop uh -huh. or on facebook when we put the link up on here um on youtube um just say yes or no if you're interested in gaming and what we'll do is we'll we'll have a look and we'll get back in touch and see how many people we've got perfect so um just some minor details if you want when are you looking to do it roughly what time um, and um, what kind of criteria do you want for players? You know, as far as how you know you have to be there so much time. You know what I mean? Give everybody yeah, kind of idea of the commitment. 
it's it's more the fact is I want to get see uh, get an expression of interest first because before I do down the commitment because um, it would probably have to be at a weekend. Okay. Um, mainly because my schedule during the week um, can't do it during the week because of work, and it may be a Sunday um, for a couple of hours. But it'll also probably be doing down to the fact that if we've got people internationally who want to come in the time difference and things like that. So sure. first first things first, I want to know down exactly how many people are interested uh-huh. and then, then put out the call to say, yes, it's going to be this. We're going to be streaming, of course. And that's the other big criteria is, are people happy being on a live stream? Perfect. Um, because that's one of the things we wanted to do was stream um, Go Stops uh, through our Twitch channel. So there won't be any cameras, promise. People now, no cameras. Yeah, no cameras. Just, just audio. I, I have a face for radio. So, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so it'll just be audio, and we'll be using Roll20 as well, which makes it easier for dice rolling and things like that, because um, it's all built in. So you just need a Roll20 um, account, and we'll take it from there. Perfect. Sounds like a great I think So to everybody listening out there, and make sure we uh, put out a... Um, a written version of this invitation out to all our media platforms as well. Uh, just so if you're interested in participating in the SITREP Ghost Ops group, uh, reach out to us and we will have Ralph go through it and he will be in contact with you to set it up. So I know we have one person who's definitely committed. I am so there. Um, I love RPGs. Scratching that itch for modern as well. So I'm really looking forward to it. Um, so that's so- awesome. Would that make two people interested then? That would make two now. That yeah. make two. That make yeah. two. Cool. There you go. And then get um, those tickets. Get those yep. tickets, folks. They're going fast. That's right. So um, obviously, you know, if you are one of our Patreon supporters, you get first crack. So um, we always want to acknowledge those people that are helping us. So we obviously they get first crack. So um, also, Jim, I know you do weekend gaming. Uh, are are you at a point where you think you would be open to other people who are interested in playing? If they're uh, one we, of our members, we put out uh, an invitation almost every week. Um, absolutely, uh, there's a long and short of it uh, to answer your question. Um, for the war games that we run every week, uh, you don't need a Roll Twenty account. You don't need a Twitch account. You don't need anything really. All you need is an e- as a uh, internet connection. And uh, you're there. Internet connection, uh, some D6, and a belly full of guts, and you're there. Perfect. Um, Yeah. uh, As far as whether or not we can start to stream those on a Sunday afternoon, we're we're definitely working on that. I'm not 100% sure if we're 100% there yet. Um, It might just be a question of finding the right system that is stream-friendly. Um, Arab Israeli Wars, which is what we've been doing so far for modern on a modern angle, is you know obviously one of my favorite war games of all time. Uh, there's going to be a box of Arab Israeli war of the uh, Avalon Hills, the Arab Israeli wars uh, buried with me in my casket. Uh, so I can go to the afterlife with everything I need. Um, but I don't know if it's a hundred percent stream uh, friendly. It might be, I might be, you know, being paranoid here. It's just a long crunchy, you know, the, the turns take a while, you know, kind of a game. Um, we were also talking about, we were talking earlier in the stream about um, Valor and Victory for uh, 
1967 and 68 Vietnam, and now we're expanding into 1982 Lebanon. IDF versus Palestinians, Hezbollah, um, you know, other irregular groups, uh, the Syrian army, the fight that took place there in 82. So we're taking valor and victory system further into the more modern eras. Um, the groundwork on the map is done, and all I got to do is make the counters and the map boards, and we'll be playing that on Sundays. That might be a more. The reason I bring all that up again is it might be a more of a of a stream friendly game, also an entry level kind of a of a war game, like G was talking about earlier, uh, for members of our community who might be interested in giving this kind of gaming a try and joining the modern era uh, wave, so to speak. So, yeah, we're working on a couple things, and there are definitely some possibilities in the works. Perfect. So um, if you get to the point where you're ready for other people to possibly join you to play, you can always post your invitation on our Facebook page, you know, with a way for them to contact you, um, you know, outside the email, because I know your email is a certain group. Um, yeah. So, you know, if we have members of our Facebook, you know, the actual set rep podcast community that aren't through the email system, that they could reach out to you if you have a game you, you know, looking for some players and they can reach out to you and go from there. So, um, we can, we can definitely expand into Facebook. I'm not on Facebook yet, right. obviously, but obviously, um, we, I can support it to you. And it's email and it's uh, so far on on tabletop.com. Yeah. Um, it's only on the projects, and a lot of people aren't watching, you know, nobody, nobody watches everyone's projects, right? Um, but in this new, um, forum thread that we're starting on on tabletop we could totally put something there and again it's you know we'll, we'll put an email account in there um send me that email and i'll send you a link what this link does is it opens you up into a um, into a web conference um where you can either watch or you can uh, participate uh there's webcast in there if you want um, of course, you don't have to show your uh, your webcam if you don't want to. Um, there's chat and there's audio. And the, one of the reasons that we're gravitating toward this solution so far, at least, it is infinitely flexible. Um, a lot of the other systems that are out there like Vassal and Roll D20 and Tabletop Simulator are not terribly flexible if you don't have, you know, a PhD in coding, so to speak, um, which I certainly don't. This is infinitely flexible and it allows each player to move their own pieces. So it's not like you're, you know, shouting at me over the phone, trying to get me to figure out where your pieces are going to go. Um, it's a shared desktop web conference is really what it is. Um, but uh, I lost my train of thought here. Yeah, so we'll start putting up invitations on the um, on, on tabletop. Uh, we can expand it into Facebook if you want. We'll keep going with the with the emails uh, chain that's out there. Um, yeah, and, and and see where it goes. It doesn't install anything on your computer. There's no additional accounts needed. There's no additional information required. Uh, it's it's the, this solution was chosen because it is very low maintenance. It's very low impact on the people who want to join. So that's why we're kind of you know going with that at the moment. Perfect. It sounds exciting. Uh, so it'd be nice to get more people involved in playing some of these games. So one last thing before we move on. Um, I'm going to be putting out a poll on our Facebook page that would you guys be interested in a boot camp? And if so, what rule set would you be interested in? Uh, because my idea is when I'm at a DEF CON to talk to some of these guys and see if I can get some guys interested in committing to participating in a boot camp and, uh, you know, 
find out the particular details. So obviously it would be like a Friday into a Sunday and um, there would be some hobbying, obviously. And, you know, if you've never played the rule set, getting into it and the whole nine yards. So uh, I need to gauge interest first. It would probably be based here in Chicago uh, just because Chicago's kind of centrally located to anywhere in the North America. Again, I apologize for those over in Europe. Um, but, you know, Vista War hosts quite a few um, boot camps over there. And thought it was time that the uh, other side of the pond had some opportunities. So let's gauge some interest from our set rep podcast family and see if people would be interested. And I'll put a poll up. And again, it'll be if you are interested. And then what would be the uh, role set or game of choice? So, and we'll see if we can make it happen. All right. So we're going to talk about our main topic for today, uh, Skirmish Sanjin. Um, I have the rule book in front of me. Ralph, do you have yours? Yeah, I've got mine in front of me. Okay, Chris? I have mine. Perfect. Jim? Yep. All right. So let's start from a actual, just a publishing standpoint. Um, Jim, you do a lot of writing and rule books. You've created your own rule book. From a game creation publishing standpoint, how do you feel the book is laid out? Uh, it's definitely well put together. Okay. Um, everything's easily referenced. Uh, it's it's you know well illustrated. Um, yeah, I'd be, I I it's definitely a great book uh, from a visual design standpoint for sure. Okay, Chris, I know you've run several games and you're going to be doing a video series on it. Uh, mm -hmm. What's your impression of the rule book as far as when you have to reference? I I don't seem to have a problem referencing things from the uh, book. Okay. Um, I've also uh, made uh, little post-it notes that I've posted for certain things that I sometimes have a hard time finding in the book, sure. but uh, it's not very many. Um, okay. I think there's maybe four. Uh, the book's pretty well laid out. Um, and I, I, I don't seem to have a problem finding a lot of the stuff when I need it right away because the, the contents uh -huh. at the of the book is quite thorough. Okay. Um, one of the th things that I'm having an issue with, with writing the script for the, uh, the videos is how I'm going to split every video up. Uh -huh. What am I going to put in each video? Am I going to put in hand-to-hand -hand combat with the heavy weapons? Or am I just going to leave hand-to-hand -hand combat as its own small section so it'll be a shorter video than some of the other videos? Or what am I doing? So that that's my that's my impression of the book. It's great. Okay. Uh, I I don't have a find, I don't have a problem finding anything. Perfect. Video, well, videos are always going to be longer than you think they are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. That is very true. I, I kind of like the idea of breaking it up. I don't know if I put hand to hand and heavy weapons as one video. I think smaller videos are just as good as if not better than longer videos sometimes. Um, because, you know, people's attention span kind of starts wandering after a little bit. So, you know, if you're tackling one rule set subject at yeah. a time, that might, you know, help a lot as well. That's the plan is to try to get um, creating a force as maybe one video mm -hmm. and then going from that downwards. But uh, um, I'll probably do an introductory video, which is, uh, the you know, the brief history part of the book, the playing the game. Uh, explaining that stuff and then going to create the force and then so on. Perfect. Ralph, what's your first impression when you got your book? When I got my book, I was very impressed with the book. Um, the layout is, it is really good actually when you look at it and you know, I'm looking at it through here and all of the, all of the 
shall we say, the bare but the meat that you need, uh, sort of the first couple of pages or the first couple of chapters. But mm-hmm. then you go to the back of the book from about page 150 onwards, and it's all the quick reference sheets. So technically, you don't need the once once you say played a couple of games, you don't need the whole rule book. You would just need those back section of pages, which are all the quick reference sheets, which is great because then you know you can have. You know, you go from like a 200-page rule book down to 20 pages, and that's all you need sitting next year along with the character sheet, the sheet for your force creation and things like that. Um, but I think Colin's done an amazing job with with the layout, and it's really well illustrated. Um, all of the miniatures, by the looks of it, are Empress as well. Are they? Uh, by the looks of it, yeah, vast majority of the pictures of the minis are that they've used in their photographs seem to be Empress minis. I, I don't know if they had their miniatures out when they first initially published. No, they did. I think they used Empress as their as the driver for for their their photographs definitely. Um, because I don't think Colin had done any minis. I think the first round of minis came out with the Ranger book that uh-huh. they did. I don't think they did any minis pre that. I know there's um, I can't remember the name of the company, but they do fifteen mil. Bus Sangen. I'm trying to remember who it is now. Oh, I thought it was 20 mil. Is it 20? I thought it was 15. Is that the Warfighter set? Not quite sure. Warfighter series. Oh, um, Warfighter, wasn't that guy uh, Gripping Beast? No, it's not Gripping Beast. It's, um, oh, I'll find it. I'll, I'll do a search while we're busy okay. talking. I'll find out which what it is. Um, so, Chris, talk us through what is the initial setting of the, the rule book? Obviously, it's, it's in the name of the title, but, you know. It's Afghanistan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so you're going to see Brits and U.S. in the in the book. Um, and then the uh, you'll see Australians and New Zealanders as well. Um, but the ISAAF forces... Um, yeah, they're just, they're made up of British, U.S., uh, Australians, oh, and the French as well. Mm-hmm. So, and you've got the police in there, the Afghan National Police, and then you've got your Taliban and stuff. So it is based in Afghanistan. Um, I forget what the time period is for the book. It's flat, while Chris searched for that, it's flytrap miniatures. Oh, oh yes. yeah, yeah. com. They did a uh, series called Warfighter, which are fifteen mil uh, miniature sets for, and it's for Sangin. It's got the Sangin logo next to them. So basically, uh, yeah. Um, the thing that they've got there as well is they've got fifteen mil German because German uh, Panzer Grenadiers uh, were added for the Sangin as a PDF, um, a free scenario set. Um, Sang- they did, a, they did a collection of like three scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is the Aussies. You've got USMC, uh, two scenarios involving the USMC, Panzer Grenadiers, Royal Marine Commandos, and the Black Watch. Nice. With, like the Black the, Watch. Yeah. Uh, I've talked to some veterans from Canada who are also in, in Afghanistan. I don't know, are, they, are they included in the book or? Uh, they're in a second book. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This, so this one is essentially takes place um, right around Operation Anaconda. So, you know, yeah. so at that time period. 
March 2002. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So, so honest, it really starts, you know, uh, right after uh, 9-11. Um, so we're looking, starting around December 2001, when they established the ISAF, and then it grows into Operation Anaconda, which is March 2002, when you have, you know, small, more multinational uh, units coming into play. So the nice thing about that is this rule set has expanded to several different ones. Uh, they came out with the Mogadishu book. They came out with Conflict Africa, which is based on fictional Africa, because I guess they got some black from somebody, I'm not sure who or why, about you know using real-world scenarios. Um, That's the whole damn point of modern war gaming. <laughs> I agree. I'm, so, I'm, you know, I, you know. Unfortunately, some people get a little touchy about some things, um, but you can use this rule set in any setting. You know, while it's historically based on current events or more recent current events, you can use it on everything. Um, Chris, you missed you no, missed one off there, G, as well. What's that? You missed off the plausible deniability. Oh yes, oh yeah, which so is plausible. their spec, yeah, which is their special forces um, rules. Well, yeah. it's their special forces source book. So it, it's it's meant not to compete against Spectre Ops. No. Um, it's kind of to give you that feeling of that type of environment in their world. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, because a lot of people really like Spectre Operations. Yes. Um, <laughs> and so they wanted to have their fan base have an opportunity to play something similar. They came up with a book. You're right. I totally missed that one. I don't know how. It's sitting right in front of me. I'm looking at it. So. Well, Michael Charge, who co-wrote it with Colin, is on, you know, is is very, very uh, active within the Spectre operations uh, community. Yeah. Um, he's the one that has the Charge blog. Yeah. Um, that also posts up in the project part of OTT. So, you know, um, Mike, Michael does um, battle reports within his own blog and things like that. So, you know, it was this was never meant to compete that. I think it was just taking the the idea of having special forces and creating something that you can use within a rule set that they enjoy playing in. Uh, I agree. I agree. So, Chris, what makes Skirmish um, stand out from other games that you've played in this similar era or genre? In, in modern? Yeah. yeah. Because I haven't been playing modern that long, uh -huh. I haven't played too many rule sets. I still have yet to play my Spectre okay. rule set. Um, uh, hopefully soon. Okay. Uh, but uh, that's why I bought some SAS because I had some ideas for a scenario. Sure. <laughs> so then, what? But, okay. So you haven't had a chance to compare technically two other rule sets. I haven't. I haven't. What drew off. you to pick skirmish then? Just the fact that I'm going to be honest, and I think Jim uh, pointed this out when we talked to Colin is realistic ranges weapons have realistic ranges yeah. and it feels like oh my my assault rifle only shoots 24 inches but you've got this long alleyway mm -hmm. and you can only shoot 24 inches down this long stretch or through this open field you're only shooting 24 inches into this really huge open field and it just didn't rule sets like that i think they have their places but it just doesn't seem realistic for a modern rule set to have weapons that have such short ranges that they can't even shoot 
partway across the board. So to me, that's a big thing. About that is that is a huge thing. Um, again, we kind of like like Chris said, we've we've addressed this in a previous episode, so I don't want to beat it to death. But a lot of times, like people on different sites will, when we bring up these kinds of topics, will say, "Look, it's just a game. It doesn't have to be perfectly realistic." And you know, it's it when the ranges are that screwy, or it never it ranges is just like part of the problem when the scale of the whole system. Yeah, is is that screwy? It leads to games that are absolutely not even close to um, to realistic. We had a episode kind of like this during the recent Bolt Action Bootcamp. Okay, all right, during the free gaming um, Bolt Action uh, free gaming period after the Bolt Action Bootcamp, really fast. I don't want to get off on too big of a tangent here. I was running those exact same battles that we were just doing in Bolt Action. I was running them again in Panzer Leader where a hex is, you know, either 150 or 250 meters uh-huh. and we're having battles. And here comes, you know, a couple of platoons of Mark fours and they're pulled down behind the sand dune. Here comes some, Sher- uh, not Sherman's, uh, some crusaders with their two pounder guns. Every single crusader dies. The crusaders never even get a shot at the, at the Mark fours. And it's like, how did this happen? You'll never see that happen on a bolt action table because the Mark fours, with their long barrel 75s can fire at up to 1,000, 1,200, 1,500 meters. And those little uh, 40 millimeter two pounders can hit maybe 300, 500 meters. The, all those mark, all those crusaders are dead before they even get on the table. Switch over to bolt action where the entire table could fit. You could fit three or four tables in one Panzer liter hex. The, the units do not behave realistically. The game does not behave realistically. The game almost becomes... Uh, a parody uh, at that point when the, the, the scales are that screwy. So it sounds sometimes like, you know, to support what Chris is saying, it sounds sometimes like, oh, you guys are just being, you know, button counters or rivet counters or whatever. You know, it, it really does um, cause the game to uh, to get a little screwy when, when scale is that far off. So, yeah, I mean, when we were having our talk with, with, with Colin, he was talking about 10 foot tables with like 20 guys on, on, on his table. And I was like, Oh, so someone actually knows a little bit about infantry combat, modern infantry combat. That sounds great. Yeah, absolutely. Any other strengths that you can mention Chris, on this? Um, I like the fact that you could play on pretty much any scale of table. Mm-hmm. Like you could start, you could play on a two foot by two foot if you really wanted to. And then you can escalate that table up to 18 feet by six. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. You know, you can play that. Plus, you know, like one of the things Colin had mentioned to me in a conversation, I think it was on the podcast, is the fact if one of your team members gets wounded, yeah. your whole mission has changed. Yeah. Your mission has changed. And I thought that was a cool mechanic. Like your mission has changed. Now you have to get your personnel off the board. You have to evac them. Yeah, there's not many games that sort of take that into consideration. Bold action being the obvious one does not take into consideration that you've just had an entire, say, squad or three men in your squad killed or wounded. And it's like, oh, we're just going to keep continuing fight. You know, it's it's like a war of attrition. You know, it's like, I'm going to fire, I'm going to fire, I'm going to fire, I'm going to fire. Right, that squad's gone. Next squad, keep fire, keep fire, keep fire. There's no... Well, World War II, especially near the end, kind of became a war of attrition. Yeah. Um, 
so it almost matches that part. And as far as uh, there are other modern mm-hmm. miniature war games that have casualty evacuation rules in them. Uh, the one I keep talking about is Force on Force. Yeah. What's interesting there is that it imposes casualty evacuation constraints and requirements on your free world forces, but not on your insurgents. Mm-hmm. And uh, to talk about what Chris was saying a second ago, what winds up happening is when both sides start taking casualties, the insurgents get to play in the traditional sense where, oh, you hit that miniature. Let me just take that miniature off the table. Uh, better luck next time. You know, whereas the free world guys or, you know, whatever you want to call them, you know, the, the operator guys don't get to do that. They have to evacuate that casually off the table. Hmm. Yeah, it does add that extra sense of realism and, you know, it changes the whole strategy your game which i find very cool as well what really drew me to this game outside of the the genre itself was that it has that flavor of an rpg as well but not it's not dungeons and dragons 4 <laughs> no 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 it's not it's not dnd fourth edition yeah <laughs> i have my m4 carbine of elven slaying okay so i'm gonna first say i hate dungeons and dragons fourth edition i hate dungeons and dragons fourth edition <laughs> you're not the only one um oh i think like you're tell us so, how you, look, you know <laughs> it, it's a totally different game it wasn't dnd anyways getting back to this. so um i really like the rpg the aspect of this, I like feeling um, involved in creating my characters. You know, not just taking all right a stat for this leader with this weapon, blah blah blah. But you actually created a character. You know, your your team is made up of people you create. Um, you know, you're giving them names. And you're creating their stats, and um, I really like that because it made you feel really involved in the game. You were emotionally committed game you know if if one of your guys that you created gets zapped you felt it you know and and you you know it like to jim's point you got hit in another game system oh well you lost the guy right in in this game somebody goes down you feel like i have to save this guy and i have to get him out of here so i and it does totally change the outlook of the game if you're that emotionally invested in the game you know it's not like you're gonna go away with you know, I don't want to make light of it. I'm, I'm not. But, you know, you're not going to go away with mental conflict afterwards. But it does give you the sense of realism and ownership. And this is my team. And I'm going to do what I can to protect them. And, you know, make sure everybody comes off the board, you know, one way or the other. So it really, if you're looking for a game where you can feel really in-depth. And, you know, it's not just the game. But it, it's. It almost makes me feel like I did when I was a kid and I played D&D second edition, you know, AD&D, when I played second edition. Uh, go. You know, <laughs> when I built my characters and those were mine and, you know, I, I lived and breathed those characters, you can do the same with this. I think when you create a squad or a team in this game, you can take it from game to game to game if you really want to. You know, it's not just a one-shot, one-trick pony. You could keep that team and have them grow if you want to, you know, almost like a campaign system. So I think they've they've captured some of that RPG spirit. I don't know, Chris, what do you think? Do you agree, disagree? I I do agree because you do have characters and personalities in your your game and you care. You get more of a 
not carry uh more of a feel that of realism uh-huh that you are looking out for their lives as the squad leader and you're trying to make sure that everybody gets back and you accomplish your mission and sometimes well if somebody gets hurt on the mission well you can't accomplish the objective but the mission has just changed right your mission is to get that person off safely all right so let's flip the coin a little bit ralph did you have anything to add to that no it was just the same thing you you sort of beat me to the punch about the that that rpg element that ability to create a, a squad instead of just copying down stat lines you know it, it's it's something that sets it apart from some of the other gamer systems out there you know from from point of view of creating a character the only other system where i've seen a character creation uh-huh. recently is that um shadows of the ranger the the oh the skirmish book yes by yeah. colin um that's the only other one where i've seen um character creation okay for your car- for your team rangers of the shadow deep that's it where you create your head ranger uh-huh your head you, the head of your war band is actually created you create the sub ones as well but he's an actual physical character on a sheet almost um which sort of really does lend itself to having that connection you know it, it, and compared to other war games where there seems to be that disconnect between you and your, you know, yeah, you might be playing a historically correct force, yeah, but there still is that little bit of a disconnect between, yeah, yeah, I'm moving little pieces around a, a field compared to I am moving my squad, I care about my squad, I'm going to use everything I can to keep this squad alive and complete my objective. Perfect. So, all right, um, let's look. Can, can, oh, I, ahead, can I add it? Just, just to be devil's advocate here yeah. a little bit. Um, I'm not trying to contest what anybody's saying, but just to kind of keep the conversation going a little bit. Okay, so um, character creation. Character creation tends to be a staple of the role-playing genre. Uh That's great because role-playing games tend to be cooperative. Everyone's on the same team, and you're up against a game master, dungeon master. But the underlying... Of course, every every group is different, but the underlying uh, assumption is that you know the game master is not going to have the sun fall out of the sky and land on you. Mm-hmm. And everyone's dead, so you have a better than even better than even chance. Okay, war games are even money on each side. It's a fair game, either symmetric or asymmetric, and it's it's comp, it's uh, competitive. Two sides are trying to win. I bring this up because this isn't really. Uh, modern war gaming but it's an experience that i've had and it's with dark star with dark star it's a war game and what you do is you make up a little task force of warships and those task force of warships each have your own captain that captain gets a name that captain gets experience points as he goes through battles you upgrade your ship you upgrade your captains pretty soon people are drawing pictures people have stories written it's kind of what you're talking about that hybrid between war gaming and uh that hybrid between wargaming and um, and role-playing games, where you have a character that you're building up through a campaign. Mm-hmm. The closest I've come to a bad experience in Darkstar comes when one of these characters really gets blown up. Okay, that doesn't happen often in a role-playing game. Okay, you, you can always get killed in a role-playing game, and you can lose these characters to which you had a, a close attachment to. And it's not that big a deal in a role-playing game because everyone's on the same side. In a war game, it's it's competitive the two sides are literally trying to kill each other on the tabletop 
does that run a risk of bad feelings on the table when it's people actively trying to kill each other's characters the way you don't normally see in a role-playing game? I think character creation on, I think we're, we're, we're sort of mischaracterizing the character creation per se. It's in Skirmish Sangan, it you roll for your stat lines where it's not so much, you know, yes, you are creating a trooper more than creating an individual character. Um, it's it's instead of reading off, you know, like I'm a special ops operator, so I've got six in melee, six in um, gun combat. I can run it, you know, five inches here, yeah? What you're doing within Sangan is when you roll that dice is you're determining the body type of the trooper from one to ten, if I remember correctly. And then that determines the, the some of the skills, and then you can add your specialization on that. So it's not full-on D&D character creation. It's 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 a, a character creation light, probably the best okay. way of describing yeah, it. Yeah, I agree um, with that assessment. You know, so so you so you're not you're not technically going out and out to try and kill each other's characters, per se, even though you are. It's mm, is there's still going to be that connection to it, but it's not going to be that heavy connection of leveling and you know having a level two warrior, leveling up level three, level four, and then a totally part of uh, TPK comes along and you get very upset with your games master and want to kill him. Not that I'm speaking from experience, but you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, we had to write a rule into Dark Star where it was like, look, if you lose a captain. You get to start a new captain with half the uh, half the experience points, yeah. so you you get a little bit of a consolation prize. Mm-hmm. So because yeah, people were, again, it's not it's not about paperwork or leveling or thing. It's just like what Chris was saying. You know, you get attached to these characters. You you, yeah. you feel like you know them. You're trying to get them off the table. Oh, Ralph just totally sniped my staff sergeant. You know, who's from you know Hattiesburg, Mississippi. You know, thanks a lot, Ralph. Or <laughs> gee, just gee, did you really have to put that that landmine there? Thanks. This guy that I made up and talked about, and he has a little backstory. He gets to go home with no legs now. I, it's, it's in a role playing game that doesn't happen because people are on the same tide. I was just wondering if that ever led to bad feelings at a table where you know people have been involved more of an emotional. Like you, you guys are talking about that disconnect in wargaming. Mm-hmm. I see that disconnect in wargaming almost as a benefit as opposed to a a, a drawback sometimes because. You know, people get blown up fast in war games. Yeah. And sometimes that disconnect is a good thing. Um, again, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Uh, is is I guess you guys have never run across this. I personally haven't tried Scrimmer Sanguine on my own table, uh, unfortunately. I do have the book. I just haven't, you know, I, I have a very, very limited gaming group, you know, that I can work with down here. Um, obviously, I run most of my games online. I don't know if you could play Scrimmer Sanguine online. That would be tough. But... Um, yeah, so I I may not even really know what I'm talking about here. So I think you could run Sangan online. Thinking about it, you could. I really do. Yep, I think you could run it online. I There's... mean, there there is the modules for tabletop simulator, so you can yeah. run it there. Um, one of the things we talked about, I think we talked about in the live stream the other night, didn't we, Jim? About um coming up with a way where people can remotely play a miniature game. So. Yeah, it wouldn't be that. Like, like, put a little bit, put some uh, some reference points on your table. Mm-hmm. I don't mean like artillery, like like you know, painted yellow or white artillery stakes, but put some sort of you know, because everyone's going to be looking at the same table via a whole bunch of webcams. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it might be tough to uh, set up a studio for that. But I mean, it's, yeah, it's definitely doable. Yeah. It would just be a lot of work. Yeah. I think, well, I mean, as an initial thing, you could use similar to the way that you do your hex encounter one, but where, you know, you have a map laid out and, you know, oh. you move, you're yeah. moving, you know, instead of moving a platoon, one counter denotes a man. You know, if you're doing something small and compact, say using Sangin or using Black Ops or using Spectre. Oh, yeah, certainly. I mean, any, any miniature game can be converted yeah. into a. I don't want to say hex encounters, but into no. a board game, into, yeah, into, a, into, a, into, into a 2D game. The problem yeah. there is that you don't have miniatures. And then no, you don't. A lot of, for a lot of people, that's half the point. So. Yeah. 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 It's great having the miniatures. I'm just thinking as, as a way of, say, doing a, you know, say, for example, I wanted to play you and we wanted to try Sangin. That's yeah. one way of doing it, you know. Yeah. Well, and, I've, and, you know. I've totally done that in the past. Um, yeah. It's a little. It, there, there are a few hidden landmines in, in mm-hmm. the idea, but it, it does work. I've run uh, second edition TSR battle system um, mm-hmm. yeah. in, in, in either Photoshop or Excel. Mm-hmm. Um, the toughest part there is, I mean, the pieces rotate fine. You can, you know, have your casualties come off. Everything's basically like a, a, a square and you can have like a little um, overhead view of for your artwork or whatever. Mm-hmm. Hey, building an army is awfully fast. I mean, how how fast can you hit the control C, control V button? <laughs> You'll have an army of 700 orcs before you know it. Um, the the hidden bug in the, in the idea, and it's, it is it is overcome, it is able to be overcome, is uh, obviously scale is an issue. Uh, scale on the table and as you zoom in and zoom out on the screen it's like wait a minute what 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 was seven inches now you have to have a floating ruler so to speak mm-hmm. uh especially for making turns we had like a little turning wheel and it was scaled to the map and so on and so forth there are ways around it i've done it it successfully um miniature gaming on a 2d surface virtually it's just um uh, Again, you're, you're you're losing that third dimension. You're losing the miniature. You know, drawback number one and uh, obstacle number two is uh, is how do you measure distances? Yeah. Uh, in in a environment where you know control mouse wheel forward, you're now looking at a much smaller area on the map board. It's doable. We've done it. Um, we could totally do it one of these days. Uh, there are just a few things to kind of keep an eye out for. All right. So let's flip the coin. So Chris, we'll start with you. If you had if you had Colin sit in front of you, what recommendations would you give, if any, to improve the game? Oh. Um, I know, I put you right on the spot. Yeah, <laughs> right at this point, uh huh. I've played three games, and I'm not finding too much right at this point. Got As I get into games, I find that I find more things. But at Got this it. point, I haven't found a thing yet that I haven't liked. Um, it, it the 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 first couple games, it took us a while to get into it uh-huh. because we were learning the rules. So I can't blame that on the rules because that was us just learning. Um, the third game, it moved a lot faster, and we were going through the game turns a lot easier mm-hmm. because we had played a couple games. Um, but at this stage. I haven't found anything that I didn't like yet, but you know, that might change. Um, there, there's always something you don't like about a rule system, um, or you think it should be done this way or that way. And, uh, but I have not encountered that yet. 
Okay. But yeah, we'll be playing a lot more, so we'll see. When in doubt, when someone asks you what you would change about a system that you really like, just ask for more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Ralph, any observations in that category? I can't say anything uh, that I would change. Yeah. Um, one of the things I would like, I know Colin's busy doing is Ultra Combat, which would be, which is, I think, the next step up. Okay. Um, from from what Sangan does, um, I'd like them to see produce more, more, so we say, source books or more books. Um, you know, the last book they did was the Deniable Ops. I'd be interested in seeing going down the route of some of the things that they've done with, uh, like what Force on Force did, where they did like a Bush Wars book. That might be an interesting one, even though the African book you could probably use for. Yeah. Um, maybe even a What If book. You know, taking the Team Yankee sort of What If. And putting into that, but I'm guessing that's where Ultra Combat would come into it. Yeah. But but Sangan as a system and as a collection of as a rule system and a collection of material that's there is, is I think a very robust uh set of rules. It was the yeah. first set of modern rules that I picked up. Um you know, from from point of view of when I got back into Wargaming. Um, because I've only really been returned to Wargame for about four years now. And Sangin was the the first rule set that I picked up as a as a rule set because I was more interested in modern war gaming than World War Two and things like that. Okay, Jim, any thoughts? Um, no, pretty much. You know, uh, said everything. Um, as far as Skirmer Sanguine goes, uh, yeah, uh, some more. Um, you know, like I said, if if you don't know what to say when you're asked, you know, what to ask, what to, yeah. what to what you change, you know, ask for more. Uh, and again, a lot of this might be covered in the upcoming um, Ultra Combat uh, release. Yeah. Um, I'm usually I'm usually a fan of larger battles. So anything that takes things up from the squad up to the platoon level, uh-huh. long story short, they might already be doing it. Um, yeah. It would, would, would be my answer as far as things I would want, things I would change. Relax, James. You know, sit down for one hot minute. We're we're working on it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So here's what it's not necessarily I would change. Um, I think when somebody picks up this rule book or looks at the PDF, the thing that might not put them off, might make them hesitant, scare them a little bit, is the map. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's really. If you think about it, if you've ever played any game at some point where you're doing modifiers and stuff, it's there. They just kind of present it differently. You know, it's it's all on percentages. So you have to add the percentages for all your D10. You're doing a percentage die. No big deal, right? Um, but when you, if you've never been exposed to this game before and you're like, ooh, this looks interesting, you open up the book and you're looking at a, uh, you know, a page on, oh, up here. Um, just had a page. All right, so if you look at penetration chart, you know, what's the armor value? What's the weapon? Is it going to be a 5%, 10%? You're adding 20%, but if you're this, they're negative 20%. So there is a little bit of rules. Instead of just, you know how other game system presents you with just a solid number? Yeah. You start at this rate. If you're this, you get this. If you're in this, you minus this. This is just, it's just a matter of translation, I think. And so I just don't want people to think, oh my gosh, I could do a little extra math. It's all based on a D10 die. It's just the way it's presented. Um, I think it just needs to be easily explained, saying not intimidating at all. When you look at it, it's just 
you know, the formula in your head. So I, that's truly the only criticism or concern I have regarding that. Yeah, you look at the shooting modifiers. I've got the page up here, 62, and it's like uh, the modifier against the target, modifier for the attacker, modifier for vehicles. And, you know, it's it's probably all well and good if you've got, you know, the if you if you've played a couple of games mm-hmm. i think if you're diving straight in yeah your first game then you will get a little bit feel a little bit daunted over that it kind of gives me i think in a way i have an advantage and we probably all do you've played old avalon hill games where you had to do yeah. a lot of modifiers yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You, you're gonna play this game no problem whatsoever so you've yeah, been trained yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even if you played original D D. You know, your yeah. old school D and D with all the modifiers you used to have. Again, this is no problem at all. This is really a you know, this is a, a um, you know, you're rolling against your strength or your charisma or whatever. So, um, that is truly my only concern. So, other than that, I think it's a great game, Chris. I can't wait to see the videos. Um, I definitely think the CQB is in order for this game. Um, so. It is definitely one of those up there when you're looking for a realistic war game set in a real world scenario. This is definitely one that scratches the itch. And, um, you know, all in all so far, I think we all can say that it definitely is something that we all want to play and see more of. So absolutely. uh, Before we close out the show for today, does anybody have any last thoughts about anything that's going on? uh, Modern war gaming. Um, check out our most recent op center and yep. uh we'll be we'll be uh wrote okay so part one was 56 war part two was 67 war the part three is going to be a big one part three is going to be in fact i may even break part three up into two parts um the 1973 yom kippur war uh that's what we're actually going to be wargaming in about uh, eight minutes um, <laughs> on, on another call and uh after that becomes um we were talking about before valor and victory 1982 peace for galilee the british um the uh, israelis invading lebanon uh in the summer of 82 so yeah keep an eye out for that and um yeah well you know uh hope to see you again soon all right guys so that's jim's polite way of saying hey i need to get off i got a game to get ready for <laughs> so uh yeah. until our next time we're all gonna rtv back to base and for chris and Ralph and Jim, this is G, and you've been listening to Red Podcast. We will check y'all later. Bye bye.